You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is the great Kevin Cobbs. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You uh, friends at The Magnet Theater might know Kevin from his work on the music industry, <clears throat> excuse me, as part of Megawatt. He's also the director of the sketch team The Executives, is uh, part of the great American country Drifters, and has his own uh, uh, show with Jimmy O'Connell, Kevin and Jimmy's Guide to New York. Yeah. Uh, fabulous. So you're originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. Yeah. Um, what brought you to New York? I'm always curious about people's transplant stories about New York because as a, as a New York native, I think I kind of miss out on the experience of living in New York. Yeah. You know. Right. Like, so so how long have you been here? I've lived in New York for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I moved here. I'd started doing improv at a place called Dad's Garage in Atlanta like towards the end of college and fell in love with it. And I did it. I became part of their, uh, ensemble for like a few months only and, uh, decided to move here basically because I wanted to go to either New York, LA or Chicago mm-hmm. and just get out of Atlanta. Cause I'd been there most of my life and I knew the most people here. So, and I, that wasn't very many, that was only a couple, but, uh, I just moved up here in 2010 with a, a suitcase and a dream. <laughs> what was your first, like, what, what, what's your first impression like of New York when you get here? Uh, it was, I mean, I, I grew up in Atlanta, like in the city, but it, it was still a culture shock coming here for sure because, you know, getting off the train at Herald Square, there's just so many people. It was, like, physically and emotionally, like, a little shocking to be in the city where you're just surrounded by you know, thousands of people all the time. Uh, so that it took a little getting used to. I remember it took a few months before I felt like a little comfortable, but it was also super exciting. I just remember, yeah, being extremely excited, poor, in a state of shock and awe for a few months. And uh, yeah, and just constantly going to see comedy shows do classes, do whatever, open mics. I did whatever I could yeah. when I first got here. Is that cliche thing true, uh, arriving in New York? Like, is it, does it, is it like the city of your dreams when you get here? Do, do, do you, do like, have that moment where you take the breath and is like, <laughs> my life begins now? Or is it just I, like... Yeah, I kind of... Well, for me, I'd, I'd never actually... Like, a lot of people who move here, you talk to them and they're like, I always wanted to move to New York. Yeah. Personally... I'd visited a few times and it always seemed like I was like, it would be a nightmare to live in that city. It's, yeah. it's just so crowded. I'd only visited in like either the dead of winter or the middle of summer. So it was either super cold or just hot and miserable. Um, so I didn't idealize it particularly. Uh, but once I got here, yeah, I, it was like that. I was like, wow, I live in New York City. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it kind of is that cliche thing, even for someone like me who didn't uh, always dream of living here. Yeah. Are you, um, uh, like, do you have, like, a like a master plan for your career? Or, or you kind of uh, uh, take things as they come kind of guy? Uh, I'd say a little bit of both. Yeah. 
I definitely take, there's things that I love doing that I never would have set out to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of have a master plan. I, I look at people who I really admire in comedy and like, like, oh, I'd love to have a career like Bob Odenkirk mm-hmm. or John Glazer or, you know, people who kind of write and perform is sort of what I've always wanted to do. But then I also take things as they come. I didn't always want to direct, but I've gotten into that and I really love it. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of things that I never expected to do, but I'm grateful that I've been able to do them. If, if uh, uh, someone were to ask you, so what's next for you, Kevin <laughs> Cobbs? Do you have, like, if, if you got called into, uh, 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 like, Netflix got in touch with you and we're like, we want to develop something, what, what do you have for us? Do you have ideas ready to go? I do, yeah. I've got a couple things, um, and you can't know. About I'm not asking for them. <laughs> okay. just, no, no, no. I'm, I'm curious about that because I never no, do. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do have some things ready to go. I think the, the more I've, I guess the older I've gotten, the more I've been doing this, the more I know it's like you got to be ready for, or it's good to be ready in case someone asks you that question because every now and then someone does, and if you're just like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity, I guess. So yeah. I've got, I got some things up my sleeve, uh, that I would love to get made, but you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and so the most annoying question then, uh, uh, is where do those ideas come from for you? Like when, when you're, when you're arming yourself with stuff to have in your back pocket, is that coming from open mics? Is that coming from just doing a lot of character pieces or, or is it just kind of like, yeah, I'd say um, character stuff, stuff I've... But mostly it comes from collaboration for mm-hmm. me. Like, people I really love to collaborate with, like, you know, Al King or Jimmy O'Connell or Jana and Lauren. Like, people that I collaborate with that I really like collaborating with, I'll come up with stuff with them that I'm, you know... That's where I think the best ideas come from for yeah. me is through collaboration yeah and then you can go off on your own and flesh that stuff out or whatever do you uh um because i, I kind of feel myself like i'm i'm more squarely on the improv side of things like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not much of a, a planned person and and uh I kind of work when I'm invited to work and then the rest of the time I kind of just like happily am like walking down the street and <laughs> like not really doing much of anything. But there's like a whole dedicated set of people here who who are either mainly sketch and mainly character or or do a really great job straddling the line. Do you... I, I apologize for how like uh, basic and stupid this question is, but do you like get together with Jan and Lauren and book rooms to specifically develop ideas or is it just kind of this like ongoing, you live and work with these people and you're constantly coming up with stuff and anything that has value, you kind of explore and, and like, how, how does it, is it just, is it just part of your lifestyle at this point? Yeah, I'd say it's mostly that there are times where it will be, uh, you know, Hey, let's meet up and spend like two hours just hanging out and casually like, uh, bouncing ideas off each other. Yeah. Usually it's for a specific thing. Like, I don't think I would ever, I, I can't think of a time in the recent past where I was like, Hey person, will you meet me? We're going to book a room and just bounce ideas off each other for no reason. Usually I do that with like 
we're working on a specific show or project. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, mostly it's, you know, uh, so I guess it's both is yeah. the answer. Yeah. yeah. So let's back up a little bit. So starting at dad's garage in Atlanta, how'd you get involved in improv to begin with? And it yeah. was improv your first, your first comedy thing or were you working before that? No, it was, yeah, it was the first thing. So I was in Atlanta going to Georgia state university, go Panthers. And, uh, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was like a junior or senior and I'd seen a couple improv shows before. Um, I'm sure, you know, John Dixon, mm-hmm. he, he grew up in Atlanta, not far from me. We go way back. Uh, and he'd already moved to Chicago, but every now and then he, he would come back to Atlanta for like a break and he'd do an improv show and I would go with, you know, a lot of friends and go watch him. And that was sort of my introduction to like, I guess, long form improv. Um, but anyway, so after that, I think I went with Jimmy O'Connell. We were probably like 19 or something. And then he was sort of pushing me to like go see shows at Dad's Garage, which is a mostly short form theater. And uh, we would go pretty regularly. And then he like kept pushing me. He wanted to take classes there and... At first, I was sort of hesitant. I, I didn't really, um, even though I loved comedy and stuff, I didn't really see myself doing that mm. at the time. Uh, and we took classes, and then we both, I think, pretty much right away, were like, oh, this is, this is great. <laughs> so we, we stuck with it. Um, yeah, that's how we got involved there. Um, and then he moved to Athens, Georgia, to go to college, and I just kept, I kept doing their classes and became part of their their group what's what's the group like at dad's garage yeah uh it's so they much like here i think there's four levels of classes and then they actually have a a smaller like a set ensemble i think it's like 12 or 14 people Mm -hmm. and then they have when i was there a group of mostly younger improvisers called the non-ensemble and uh Uh, very flattering (laughs) yeah uh, I think they've since changed the name to the general company or something. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, but but you always know in the back of your mind that's the ensemble. I'm the ensemble, and uh, I'm part of the ensemble. And um, yeah, you would just do they do shows like Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, and it's this little theater uh, in Inman Park in Atlanta. It's not little; it's like a hundred seat theater, mm-hmm. and um, they are very popular. They sell out most of their shows and. I got to do like their Thursday night improv shows and it was very exciting. Oh, short, short form? Uh, yeah, it was uh, like theater sports. Okay. That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So um, I didn't even really do long form until I moved here. So. Yeah. What was your first take of long form when you saw it? it yeah, yeah. It was like definitely, uh, it's harder to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. Because um, when you don't know that you're watching like a form or a structure, you're you're just like, how how are they doing this? Yeah, uh, it's sort of mind blowing. And then as you learn, you're like, okay, they're they're not uh, they're not wizards. <laughs> uh, like your first time seeing improv, I think it just seems like everybody's a magician. Yeah, it's can't, just mind reading. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I, it's funny because like I, I've been 
at it for so long now uh, on such a regular basis that I, I completely forgot that the first few improv shows I saw, I did not know what the hell was happening. Yeah. You just, every now and again, you pick out that something really awesome and hilarious mm-hmm. is going on, but it's all in this context of like just chaos on stage. Shit is happening and I can't make sense of it. And then, oh, wait, that's hilarious. Exactly. That's how I would describe it. Uh, yeah. Like you'd see a callback and you'd be like, oh my God, how did they, I remember that. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that's a really concise explanation of my take on long form. The first few times was chaos with moments of brilliance. Yeah. It. Yeah. So how did you go from not being sure that you wanted to do classes in Dad's Garage to wanting to come out to New York, L.A., or Chicago to <laughs> make a career in comedy? Uh, I think I just, like probably a lot of teenagers or young, I think I took myself very seriously. So yeah. I was like, well, I don't do comedy. That's like, I'm, I'm a real serious guy. I mean, even though I was like, not that serious I was but uh with my friends I was you know I'd joke around all the time but uh I think I just real quick fell in love with it and felt like wow I feel like I'm really good at this probably thought I was better at it than I actually was and I was like I've not been really good at a lot of things in my life so uh, I think I should pursue this thing because I love it and I'm good at it yeah it's pretty much it yeah that's a big part of it. It, it, just that feeling of of uh, having skill. Mm-hmm. It's just like something to like, oh, this works. Yeah. That like, it, it gives you encouragement and it gives you like a sense of pride. Yeah. And there's like an audience telling you you're good at it. Yeah. If, you know, you get laughs, there's like an immediate gratification when you do it. So, yeah, uh, yeah that definitely pushed me. So what were you, what were you serious about? <laughs> I think I was, uh, like at the time I was DJing at my college radio station, uh-huh. uh, WRAS album 88. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Yeah. And it's the biggest, biggest college radio station in the country. Wow. hundred thousand Watts Wow, left on the dial, right on the music. Uh, <laughs> so I was like pretty into music and sort of considered myself a musician, even though I really only dabbled like that time I'd only played in like a couple bands, but not nothing really serious. uh, Cause I'm a drummer and a guitar player, but now I mostly play guitar for comedy shows Mm -hmm. and I play drums in a real band, but it's, it's uh, more of a hobby, I would say, even though I love it. So what what do you mean a real band? Well, not that the, not that comedy isn't, the comedy band oh, is I see, a real, I see. but it's a non-comedic the, band. I got it. It's, uh, but yeah, I'm just the drummer in that band. How long was your radio show for when you were DJing? How, like, how long would you be on the air? Well, I started as, I would do the graveyard shift, so uh-huh. it was 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So it was four hours, um, and it was mostly just playing music, like the regular rotation, so I mostly was just going through a computer yeah. and then doing station breaks and stuff like that. And occasionally taking calls from weirdos who call a radio station at four in the morning. Yeah. A college radio station. Uh, yeah, that was, and then I think I moved on to like a two hour show in the afternoon, but it's all a blur now, man. There, there's something about, uh, and I'm probably getting this so wrong, but there's something about being locked in a, in a, in a booth and having to just like fill the time for hours and come up with shit yeah. to talk about that I, I find so amazing. And like, the, it, it's still, there's something about that idea of like, you just have time to fill. Um, that's unbelievably exciting. 
I didn't have to fill that much time because it was just like playing the music yeah. and then doing the breaks and make and doing the logs and um, it was mostly just a little creepy because yeah I'd be in the student building and there'd be a window out to the hall and I wouldn't uh, see anyone except maybe a janitor for four hours yeah but uh, yeah I I mean anyone who can talk for that long and make it entertaining on the radio that's uh, has my respect what kind of phone calls are you getting at four o'clock in the morning like who, who, who who's calling and what are they calling for <laughs> um, they were pretty rare I wouldn't get a lot but uh, it would either be someone saying, hey, man, can you play Leonard Skinner? <laughs> like, no, sorry, we're not that kind of station. You can, you know, go to Z93 if you want to hear Leonard Skinner. Or, yeah, sometimes requests. Uh, sometimes people just saying, who's that song you just played, man? <laughs> like, uh, And then sometimes it was just a buddy of mine making a prank call. Yeah. <laughs> so... One of those. Uh, uh, were you conscious when you were doing the show that you're the biggest college radio station in America? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, because it would broadcast to all of Atlanta. Yeah. That's why it was the, it was the most wattage. So it was like a little nerve-wracking as like a 20-year-old. 20, 20 because like, they, they definitely instilled fear in everyone like, hey, don't don't curse, don't do this, don't do this, or the FCC will sue us for $100,000. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was constantly aware of that. That's kind of an amazing experience. Do, do, like, is there anything that you took from that that, that kind of uh, you, you took as a performer or you took as a creator, or, or was it just kind of like a, a blip on your screen? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I wish that I hadn't been so concerned with the rules and like had played around more. Yeah. I think if, uh, if, if I'd done it like a year later, I probably would have tried to make it, you know, more fun and less like a college, you know, where you read an announcement and you're like, the student union will be having this event tonight. And I don't know, <laughs> it's like, like a lot of college radio, it was just a lot of me awkwardly reading stuff and then dead air and then <laughs> a song and then, yeah, I don't know. So how important has music been uh, in your life? How long have you been playing? Um, I started playing guitar when I was nine mm -hmm. and I started playing drums about the same time. My cousin was a very uh, serious drummer and had an old kit and gave it to me. And my dad is a musician as well. And he actually was a radio DJ for years mm -hmm. so I sort of followed in his footsteps uh by doing a bit of DJing and uh yeah he was a DJ on a few different stations and he would do silly comedy bits mm -hmm. so I guess in a lot of ways I'm I take after <laughs> after him yeah yeah uh um what kind of music uh, uh appeals to you what do you play um all kinds I mean uh you know, my dad raised me on like '60s rock and pop music. Uh, that, that's what he was into, and he had hundreds of records that he would play all the time. Um, you know, I I like country music. We we play comedy country music, but through doing that, I've gotten into country. And the band I play drums for is more just like straight up rock and roll. But I like it all. Yeah, I listen to a, a little bit of everything. Listen to you know, 
I was listening to the Backstreet Boys earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they got a, a good backlog. Oh, man. Do they ever? Uh, so I listen to like lots of indie stuff, but pop, whatever. Yeah. Hip hop, anything. Yeah. There's, um, uh, there, I've, I've read that a lot of comedians are also natural drummers. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's not common. It's not uncommon rather for, for, for the two to go together. Um, do you find that there's a relationship between those? Like, uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I could see how there's, cause it's, they're both about timing. Yeah. Like you need to have a sense of timing to be a funny person and then you need to have timing to play drums cause you're keeping the rhythm for the band. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely, I could definitely see how that's true. I mean, like Fred Armisen, Dana Carvey, uh, they're both drummers. I'm yeah. sure there's more drummers. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. There yeah. you go. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. He was. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I could see there being a relation. Uh, um, so coming to New York, you've decided now that you want to be pursuing comedy. Uh, what was your first exposure to improv in New York? Um, I think it was by the time I'm, you know, John Dixon, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, was here. And I think I went and saw one of his shows. Uh, right, I came and visited right before I moved here. And it was an Inferno show, mm-hmm. which I think was the predecessor to Inspirado at yeah. the Magnet. Yeah. And he had a group called Fellow Rebel Slaves. And it was like him, Matt B. Weir, I think, and one other person who I'm not sure, but that was my first show. And then, yeah. Where's B. Weir from? You guys didn't know each other when you were younger, did you? He's from Naperville, Illinois. Okay. No, I met him here. Yeah. I think through John. Yeah. Because they went to college together. Okay. There's an interesting like crew of people who like overlap a bunch of people who grew mm-hmm. up together in different states and then hooked <laughs> up in college and all kind of ended up here together. Yeah. And you've known Jimmy O'Connell for how long? Well, we played T ball together when we were like six years old. Wow. And then uh reconnected we went I transferred to the high school that he went to. Uh so I met him again when we were sixteen. So I'd say yeah. Since so that's what thirteen years or so. Yeah, yeah. And how'd you guys both end up in New York together? Uh, I moved up here, and I, uh, I think I was here, and I was almost immediately trying to talk him into moving up here. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I don't know how long I'd been here, but he he finally did. I think he saw that. Uh, Probably because me and our other friend Luke had moved up here and we'd both, you know, managed to stop being totally poor, like we were making a, a living and stuff. So he was like, okay. I, I, that's my opinion, but the point is, I, I wore him down. He finally moved up here yeah. uh, in like 2011 or 12, I think. I'm not sure. And, and tell me about the show that you guys do together. Uh, which the the your the drifters the, uh, uh, no no not not the drifters I want to talk about that in a second yeah. the uh, 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 your guide to New York oh yeah so um, yeah we do these videos where uh, the idea was just I wanted to we both wanted to just make simple videos and uh, the idea was we would just go around to different neighborhoods in New York and do short like one to three minute guides of each neighborhood. And just do little, you know, 
funny bits that we sort of improvise. We get there and figure it out, mm. shoot them in about an hour usually, um, with the help of Brian Berlin, who is also involved at the theater. And uh, they range from dumb to really dumb <laughs> and like absurd or whatever. And we, we usually just do whatever makes us laugh yeah. and then put up a little video. We've got like 23, 24 videos yeah. now since we started about a year ago. What would be an example of really dumb? Like what's the dumbest bit you guys have, have put up? Um, man. Uh, I think if you go to our, we have one where we went to Times Square and the bits involve uh, Jimmy getting really excited about the M&M store and just running around and hugging a giant walk around M&M. Mm-hmm. And then we get so uh, overwhelmed with the lights of Times Square, we vomit all over the place. <laughs> That's probably one of our dumber ones, but I don't know. Do you uh, uh, get nervous at all when you do like stuff in public or, or, or stuff oh that like, involves civilians? Yes. I actually hate doing it. Yeah. Uh, it really, really terrifies me because I don't really like, I don't like the kind of on the street thing where you're making someone look dumb. Yeah. I just think that's mean and uh, it's uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. So whenever we do it, I think I subconsciously just try to make sure it's us who's looking dumb. But even then, I get uncomfortable. I, I don't know why I make myself do it because, uh, yeah, I find it extremely uncomfortable to be doing comedy when not everyone is aware that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I feel okay about it because it's generally good-natured when yeah. we do it. Yeah, it... It, it, there's always this like sense of people being like your unwitting victim. And I get uncomfortable watching that stuff. Even it, it, the yeah. few times I've ever had to do anything publicly. I filmed this one thing this one time that involved me like going up to people at union square. I was hired to do this job and uh, I had to like promote something <laughs> to people in union square and, and kind of like force it in their faces. And it was like, oof, agony. <laughs> It was agony. What was it you were forcing in their face? I don't even remember. It was like the premiere of a movie coming up or something, and I was like hawking merchandise, and it was like some kind of like promotional tie-in where it was like looking at nerds on the street doing, getting really excited for this movie, whatever the hell it was. Mm -hmm. I I barely remember it. But I just remember that that like horrible cringing crawling up inside myself. I'm sure like my face was beat red and it was like, it's a neighborhood I'm in a lot too. It it, like, nobody knows me by name, but I'm like, it's not like I'm in like Pennsylvania. Nobody's ever going to see me again. Like I'm here constantly. Mm -hmm. It just like, it's the worst. And, and, and even if you're going to make the argument that the jokes at my expense, that I'm playing this character who ultimately is the butt of it. Yeah. Just like, interrupting people and getting in their faces made me so unhappy and, and, and feel so gross about myself. Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) I mean, I think if you watch the stuff we've, we've done, uh, it's not really, we don't usually get in someone's face. It's usually where, I don't know. I can't think of one where we like interrupted someone to do something. It's usually, we're just sort of milling around in some touristy area where it's tourists just kind of looking around and usually people will notice like, Oh, there's a camera. This is a thing. And I usually notice they're enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, how can you not enjoy when Jimmy O'Connell is, you know, just being a fun guy around you? Yeah. He's a, he's a fun guy to be around. So, um, 
but I totally agree. I, I get, if I'm forced to like, I don't know, deceive someone or interrupt someone for comedic stuff, I, I can't stand it. I think, yeah, that's it for me too. That, that, that deception, there's something about it that considering that like I'm up on stage pretty much every day lying to people. But then that's people, they bought a ticket and they're, they're like, they know what they're getting themselves into. I'm like, some guy in Union Square who's minding his own business. Yeah. And <laughs> you suddenly are in their face about something. Yeah, it, 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 I hate lying. Yeah. Which, like, I do it all the time. I'm constantly, <laughs> like, I lie fucking constantly. Or, 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 like, not blatant lies, but I just, like, stretch the truth to make my stories more interesting or more relevant. I have no problem doing that. You know? Really? Like, yeah, I have no problem doing that. Because to me, it's like, well, the kernel of truth or the kernel of the point or the kernel of thing that we're like, we're communicating about is like totally solid. Mm-hmm. I'm just finding a much better way of expressing it than what really happened, which kind of didn't fit my story too well. <laughs> so I have no problem doing that if it's for like constructive purposes, you know, uh-huh. but like, I don't know, deliberately being deceptive to somebody or, 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 or purposely playing myself up as somebody that I'm not or something that I'm not. It just like, yeah, I cringe at that stuff. I admire people who can do that and who have like the balls to, to, to like get over it and, and, you know, like just go in and like make this event happen and, you know, create this experience. But it's not in my wheelhouse at all. Yeah. Me neither. Uh, like I love, uh, you know, Ali G and yeah. I love Borat yeah. and when it came out, uh, I still love saying my wife, uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I know how much I would hate to be on the other end of it. So yeah. I'm like, I don't, um, like when I, when we do stupid bits outside, I, we don't ever try to like hide where the camera is. It's yeah. like, I think we want, people to know that we're just being idiots on camera when what what do you like what are you going for when you're creating something what for you is like the experience that you want people to be having i mean it might be as simple as just you want them laughing and and that's (laughs) it but like it it, it is like what what appeals to you when you're directing and and you're writing Uh stuff like where do your tastes lie um i would say i mean as far as writing stuff I'd say I, uh, <laughs> I typically like to go, I mean, there's not a much better word for it than like kind of dumb, mm-hmm. uh, not, I don't know, I guess it's hard to explain exactly what I go for. I guess it's mostly just laughing. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw a show, uh, do you know Arthur Meyer? You know who that is? No, I don't he's, think so. He's like a UCB guy. And okay. he, he writes for um, Fallon, mm-hmm. I think. And I don't know him personally, but I saw his solo show called Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I would say that feeling I got in a, as an audience member is what I'm trying to get, is what I go for, which is like, you know, just laughing till I'm crying at how dumb something is. Like someone, I don't know, he had a bit called Happy Rappin' Waiter. <laughs> it was exactly what it sounds like. He was a happy rappin' waiter. And it was it was just delightful. Yeah. There was nothing super complicated or... Uh, I don't think he was trying to make some big point. He was just trying to... Like, this is a song about a happy rappin' waiter. Um, I, get, I don't know. 
that's sort of it. And obviously there's other people like the first sketch show I saw at the magnet that made me really want to do sketch was, uh, a few years ago, we're Matt Weir mm-hmm. did a series of shows. And I think I went and saw the same show like four times mm-hmm. cause I thought it was so funny and just, yeah, I loved what they were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that was such a free show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They, they just had like total permission to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, they also did, did. Were you at the Saturday morning, like the morning party? Morning show? party, their nine a.m. show. Yes. <laughs> were you in that? Uh, I was the announcer. I okay. think so. I was in the booth. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. Uh huh. It was it, and, and like I can't think of many shows where like I felt that excited as an audience member to show up <laughs> because I, I really had no idea whatsoever. Like you always have some yeah. expectations of what's going to happen, and in this, it was like everything about this is screwy. I, I, I have no idea. It's just like total excitement. Yeah. And so like by the time you got there, it was already such an event, and 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 like everybody had gotten up at like <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. They uh, I guess background is just that they had they booked the theater for nine nine a.m. nine a.m. on a Saturday, <laughs> Saturday morning. <laughs> And they and they also had a fake sponsor called Star Beer in the show, and they had to drink like what was it like six beers, ten beers throughout the course of yeah, the show. It was each. a lot. They yeah. drank like they were drunk. Yeah. At, uh, after this hour long show, uh, uh, a shooter entered the theater. <laughs> a fake shooter played by uh, Dave Levin. Um, Towards the end, came in with a gun. Like, yeah, a lot of just insane things happened throughout the course of that show. And, yeah, when you when you come to a comedy show at 9 a.m. on a Saturday, you know anything. And it was it was full. Yeah, it anything, was. Yeah. It, there's actually, like, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, it's actually kind of easier to, like, pack this place in at 9 a.m. than it is at <laughs> 9 p.m. At 9 p.m., everybody has lots of options for entertainment and right. shit to do. But at 9 a.m., the fact that you actually have to make such an effort to get out there and see this means that, like, everybody's totally committed. You know how it is. 8 p.m., you're like, I'm, I'm going to go out and see my buddies perform. And then 8.30 is like, well, I'm already drunk. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. But at 9 a.m., you're just, you're committed, man. Yeah. Uh, um, the happy rapping waiter. It, it's that happy <laughs> thing, too, that, that like, it, for me, is always, like, the most inspired thing that, that like good-natured stupidity mm-hmm. it, it, and, and putting like so much hard work and, and and so much high spirits into the stupidest thing that you can think to do or or, or not even the stupidest thing but sometimes just something that like this is a, 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 an idea that kind of uh, tossed out of my brain and like let's yeah. put a lot of work into it and and not overthink it too much and there's just like something so delightful about about people using all of their brain power and all of their resources and all of their energy to just do something mm-hmm. just like moronic. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why I loved working with Al King so much because yeah, he would always be on board if I brought an idea to the table and he'd always make it like just a notch dumber. Yeah. <laughs> like in a way that like you surprise the audience cause they think, Oh, I, all right, here's this sketch. I think I know, oh, they're doing Reagan impressions. Okay, I, I think I know where this is going. And it's like, no, it's going to be even dumber than you thought. Yeah. We're not really going to make a point about Reagan. We're just 
gonna clone Reagan six times, <laughs> which we did in like our first sketch. So, uh, yeah. What was you, what was the dumbing down of that sketch? Do you remember? Do you remember the choice to make it uh, 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 surprisingly stupid? Uh, I mean, I think just the fact that it was like a sketch about lots of Reagans, lots of <laughs> Reagans is pretty much, uh, and like, uh, you know, Al would add nice details. Like he played George H.W. Bush and he, every time he left the room, Reagan would accidentally clone himself <laughs> <laughs> and he'd ask, add nice details. Like when he'd come back, he'd just be eating a giant thing of French fries or like, like even the like straight man character, he would add a dumb element. I don't know. He, he's really good at that. Yeah. Uh, using his very high intellect to make things really fun and yeah. silly and dumb. Do you guys still work together? Uh, we haven't in a little while, mainly because he's, he's uh, getting his master's in playwriting from Fordham University. So that's sort of taking all his time. Uh, go Panthers. It, go Panthers. Uh and yeah, and I've I've left a couple times to go uh, work on a cruise ship with yeah. the Second City, so that those two things yeah. have made our collaborations less frequent. But when you guys are working together, what's the relationship like? Um, I think it's we we love collaborating together, making each other laugh, and he's a great uh, like. I think usually it would be we come up with ideas I would write them and then he would he would edit that because he's just a great editor mm-hmm. and would know how to make things really tight and uh, and then when he would write stuff it would be brilliant like um, yeah we had one sketch that we did at different festivals across the country and it would always just people loved it uh, it was a home alone sketch about the two robbers <laughs> I, I love this sketch too yeah it was like written in the style of David Mamet yeah um yeah basically the audience slowly realizes they're watching a very dramatic scene about Marvin Harry from Home Alone <laughs> and it was just always so fun. it was like a magic trick cause there'd be like three or four lines where you would hear okay now a couple people are laughing they get it and then now a couple more are laughing and then there was a moment when like everyone got it and yeah. then they were just totally on board. Yeah. And he wrote that totally on his own. Yeah. The, the, I don't, I don't do a, a shitload of sketch work myself, but, but the, the, the thing of like really fine tuning it and, and like finding like the right word, if you replace this one word, yeah. all of a sudden this joke pops or, or, or sometimes even like, like when I was at, at we both did uh, uh, the cruise. Yes. Um, and when I was out in Chicago, I had Matt Hofty was was uh, our director for our for our company, and he would have us hit like letters in a word very specifically, <laughs> yeah. and like point out of like you hit that T and 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 the joke pops. You miss that T and you swallow it up. The joke doesn't quite work. It's like that <laughs> like scientific. Yeah. But like it's a totally different kind of excitement than you get when you're when you're improvising with people. Mm-hmm. It, that sense of like getting it perfect or like mm-hmm. zeroing in on exactly how to sell it. it. It feels like a victory. Yeah. Or just knowing, uh, like I know this material works. Yeah. There's like a different confidence. I think that comes with that when you're performing and you're like, I know at this moment people are going to start laughing. Yeah. Uh, it's really nice. I mean, I love improvising too, but it's just, it's very different. Yeah. So, so let's talk about second city for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
Uh, you did the breakaway. You did two contracts. Your second yeah. contract was the breakaway, the the gigantic flagship of the uh, of the fleet. Yeah. Um, and you did like the massive show. So you guys were performing how many nights a week? Uh, six nights a week, eleven shows a week. That's <laughs> that's crazy and awesome. Yeah. I, I, you and I talked about this uh, uh, when we were in Portland together. Uh-huh. I, I was on the gem, and we only had we had we had two sketch shows and two improv shows. Right. And that was it. And sometimes they they would be on the same night, so you'd only you'd perform two nights a week, and then yeah. the rest of the week you're you're off. And um, as awesome as that sounds, I I've yeah. found myself just like desperate to oh work. Oh my god! Yeah, I uh, I did the gym my first time around, and we actually only did one sketch show a week, so we'd have nine day cruises, yeah. and we'd do four shows in those nine days, and like I think two of them were on one day, so we were working three days. Per nine days. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds great. And it is at times, but it can also be uh, soul-crushingly boring. <laughs> oh, man. I was so much happier just getting through tech run-throughs mm-hmm. because I got I have a purpose now. Exactly. The rest of the time is just like, oh, my God, this free-floating time is horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I enjoyed the busier schedule a lot more because it was like every day. Yeah you knew that you had uh, a job to do. Yeah. And then uh, two nights a week, we would have three shows. So it'd be an improv show, a sketch show, then another improv show, which um, could be a little grueling, like, but not, you know, it could just be a little mentally exhausting to do that many, that many shows in one night. But I still preferred that way more than, having no shows for like three days in a row. Yeah. What was the difference between the two contracts for you? Like what, what is it like going back? The, I did one contract and mm-hmm. it's uh, this adventure. Right. And it's like really flattering. You're, you're, you're like ancillary part of second city. And, and mm-hmm. that's like a big ego boost. And, and, <laughs> and you're kind of like a superstar on the ship for three days out of the week. And that's yeah. a huge ego boost. And you're learning this new material. It's really awesome. And then, um, like I turned down my second contract offer because it felt like, all right, knowing what that is now, this is just going to be kind of a job for four months. Right. Um, so what's it like going back to that? Um, well for me it was, it was pretty different because I knew it was a bigger ship, more shows. We had our own like comedy club, like 250 seat venue. Awesome. So it was, and we did like three different sketch shows, like sketch running orders. Um, so it felt, I guess it felt like a new adventure, mm-hmm. even though I, like there were certain things that felt very similar. Uh, it, it felt uh, like I felt, uh, the reason that I took it other than the money was I felt like it would push me as a performer, which it did. Like, yeah. Doing that many shows, it just, you know, you kind of, you just have to like, get out there and do it and it doesn't really matter how you feel you just gotta turn it on and go make ha-has for the nice people yeah was uh was nate your producer nate defort uh no our producer was beth kliegerman okay uh although i do know nate yeah uh yeah he's i like nate a lot nate's an awesome guy mm-hmm. um 
uh, yeah, he said that right before he left, because the, the producer and the director were on the ship for a week with you to like set you up and get you get you all in place, and then they leave. Right. And then you're pretty much on your own. Uh, periodically, maybe you'll get notes from from the theater back in Chicago because they're watching tapes. And uh, the last thing that Nate said to us was, um, "You, you got to be good even when you're not." Mm-hmm. Which I found <laughs> great advice, and that actually like uh, um, I relied on that a few times where I was just like not feeling in it and yeah. not feeling in the zone, and just remembered that like I got a job to do. It doesn't matter how I feel. I'm, totally. I'm not. You know what I mean? Like I got to make these people laugh, and that's that. And there was something about like I don't know it, it, the fact that that advice doesn't tell you how to go about doing it; it just tells you to do it. And it's like oh. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. Of course, that, that that's the difference between yeah. a professional and someone who's not a professional. Yeah, you just do it. I think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I never, I can't think of a time in the whole four and a half months that I just spent where I was just like, man, I don't. I, I never was uh, totally like in such a horrible mood that I didn't want to do a show. I think there was one time where I was fairly sick, mm-hmm. but. I knew I just had to do the shows because it would be, you know, it was a sketch night and it would be such a hassle to reblock everything. And yeah. I just did it. I didn't feel good, but um, I think that was that was the main time I remember where I was like, I just have to do this. And yeah. then I can go to my cabin and watch Columbo and go to sleep. Hey, good for you. <laughs> uh, uh, I did mostly uh, keeping up with the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim and Chloe take Miami. <laughs> Chloe and Courtney take. Did you really New York. watch these? Shows? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You had them on your computer? No, not on the computer. It was on the. On it was the, on the. I was on the the TV. Oh, those were gone by the time I got there. Oh really? Sad to say, we had like nothing but that. It was nothing but Kardashian shows. Oh, we had the same two episodes of Thirty Rock on uh-huh. both contracts. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The movies would rotate. A lot of two broke girls. Uh-huh. Two and a half men, some uh, some good stuff too. Apollo thirteen. Oh, that's that's a pretty good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't remember any movies on our contract. I remember all the Kardashian stuff, and um, oh, that's pretty much all I remember. I'm gonna blow your mind on the Breakaway. There's two crew TV channels. Damn. Yeah. Oh, so you man. got movies going. All sometimes they'd have Mad Men or Entourage. You yeah, know, they mixed it up. That's a that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I, I I like at a certain point we started watching the Kardashian shows because we were getting so many Kardashian suggestions in our in our show that we were like we better yeah. inform ourselves on this. Well, we actually on my last contract we would all say if we had to get the suggestion of a celebrity we would say can we please get the suggestion of a celebrity not related to the Kardashians? Yeah, because if you didn't say that, and even if you did, yeah. They'd say Bruce Jenner, mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian, mm-hmm. Kanye West. Kay- so it just mixed it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and also, we didn't want to make fun of Caitlyn Jenner. That's not what we want to do. That's not what you're about. That's not what we're about. No. We, we had, uh, uh, what's his name? Charlie Sheen was like going through his, his crisis when, when we <laughs> did ours. So, so every other suggestion was Charlie Sheen. Or winning. Or winning. That was a big one. We got a lot of racist Obama suggestions. A lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot. We, yeah. That was a real education. It, 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 playing for that crowd, it, 
the, 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 what was interesting about it was like, so we educated ourselves as much as, as a person can on the Kardashians. So at least, at least we could keep our, our like bits fresh. Mm -hmm. And we found that if we did anything specific, nobody knew what we were talking about. (laughs) They just wanted Kim Kardashian has a big ass. Uh That's pretty much all they wanted. (laughs) Charlie Sheen, they pretty much just wanted winning. It was just like, the, whatever would be in the headline that you would see or the mm-hmm. crawl of a, of a, of a, of a news channel is like, they just wanted that reference and they'd be happy with it. Right. Which was really like well, disorienting. It, it is, but it makes sense too, because these people probably never go to comedy shows, probably never go to improv shows specifically. Yeah. So they're not quite as inside as we are. And yeah, they just want to, it makes sense that they want to see this, the most simple version of whatever reference you have. Yeah. I guess I, I like, didn't even think of it as being like inside or outside. I just thought of it as like, well, don't you want to see us use that somehow? <laughs> right. Like in any way. Yeah. It, somehow, it, it, there was another like, great piece of advice Matt Hofty gave us uh, for our sketch show, and it took me a, a while to get comfortable with it um, when we were doing Foursquare in mm. the first the you know first part of the sketch show uh, uh he said you got to remember that after you get your suggestion every time you come back to that scene you have to say the suggestion <laughs> in your first line of dialogue that's good advice it's great advice um he's like or else they're not going to remember yeah. or, or know what you're doing because you did that four square thing in that giant theater right? giant theater, like, like 11, 1100 seats yeah i found that to be so difficult yeah. to do four square because and i wish i'd had that advice because uh it's really hard to do that kind of improv in this huge space yeah. where people probably can't even really see what facial expression you're making. Yeah. Uh, you know. And But by the nature of the game, you can't be too physical either. That was the other thing. Right. He was like, don't do object work. Okay. Uh, 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 no object work. You got to mention the suggestion in your first line every time you get to it. And you can't really move because when they call the, the switch, you got to be in position to switch around. <laughs> so it's a lot of limitations. Yeah. just like, but, but... It, like it really was like if you were brothers you would get the laugh by saying <laughs> brother and then, <laughs> like nothing else it was amazing uh, um it took me like a month to get used to that and and then it was like oh that was a really solid piece of advice very helpful yeah. that's like the great thing i took from that experience was like the the science behind a good running order how you control the energy of an improv show with a good running order little tiny things like that like knowing when to when to repeat a suggestion or, or knowing when to like go aim for a boo uh, um, or when to hit a T in a word to get the laugh. Like it was just like little tiny things like that, that like, oh man, they've been doing this so long and yeah. are so uh, uh, in tune with their own product that it is like a science. And oh, they, yeah. they teach you like that. Sci- it's, a, it's a kind of like nuance to comedy that I've never experienced. Yeah. They have like a pretty rigid formula that they use for their sketch shows. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how closely they always follow it, but it's and it works amazingly well, which you know, because uh, doing those sketch shows, you could start with, you know, you do your first couple sketches and your improv piece, and it could be the most flat, dead audience. They're drunk. They've been in the sun all day. They're not. And by the end, they'd always be really into the show. Yeah. Even if we weren't necessarily that into it, or like we were also like, uh, we're tired too, and now we have this audience that's really tired. Okay, yeah. uh, so their their formula works extremely well. Yeah, 
they 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 know how to hold a crowd. Yeah. Uh, um, and they and they know how to move a crowd through a show too. That was also super impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that flow thing of not just like grabbing people, but um, now you do the longer scene. Now you do the silly physical thing. Now, mm-hmm. They just like knew how to like hit the buttons to keep people riding that energy through the next thing. And it was it's just really really smart, very educational. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's I learned the most. Like I, I think that's what made me. Uh, more comfortable with being a director was like learn just watching how they uh, keep a show a sketch show moving um, I was able to like apply a lot of that to when I direct how I form a show yeah so what's your approach when you're directing how do you so uh, how, how long have uh, the executives been together we have only been together for like a month mm-hmm. and we just had our first show and before that I directed Wendigo mm-hmm. for a few months uh, and they're also a great sketch team, um, now directed by Branson Reese, my mm-hmm. mortal enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, that's how. What was the question? Well, so what's what's your approach? How, oh. how, how do you work as a as a? Well, I, I guess how do you work, and, and then and then how different are the approaches of different directors? It's interesting. You you said we've been together. That, that's kind of neat. That like. <laughs> No, but you know, yeah. as a director, you're not like apart from or above the team. You're no. you're you're part of the team. Yeah, I feel like I'm just like, uh, I guess as the director, you're just kind of a facilitator. Like, yeah. um, you know, you keep things running as far as writing meetings, and uh, I, f- you know, I will uh, set the running order, pick the sketches for the show, um, give the writers input on casting, but I have final say there just to make it again run smoothly Mm -hmm. and yeah i feel like uh i i think my most like my asset that i bring to it that i think is the most valuable is knowing having a good sense of how can we keep this show moving what sketch should go where like to build to uh just yeah to so the show is gaining momentum steadily throughout the 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 show (laughs) the um, the 25 minutes mm-hmm. and I think I learned that from Second City do you have like a workable formula that you use or is it just different for every show it's it, it more like instinct it's different I think the thing I learned from Second City was like that I didn't see any sketch groups doing in New York is the use of blackouts mm-hmm. which is just like sh- very short like maybe three line sketches yeah uh, I think that just keeps people on their toes more as opposed to just seeing, all right, I'm going to see five or, you know, five, five minute sketches and then the show's over. Yeah. Uh, so just like mixing up the pace that way. You know what else it does too? I noticed this uh, now I feel bad. I don't remember the name of the show, but it was the ETC show that was playing, um, when I was, Mm -hmm. when I was being trained in Chicago. Um, it was unbelievable show and, uh, lots of blackouts all throughout. And, and I noticed that it's, it's also really smart because, they would then land in like the relationship scene. They do like their longer, more serious scene. Mm-hmm. And after you just saw like fifteen blackouts in a row, yeah. you actually want to land and stay in, in some place. So it's yeah. like a really if you just opened up on this slower relationship scene, you're running the risk of people getting bored. But by you're actually kind of forcing them to want to yeah. be there. It's just super super smart. Yeah, they're directors. I mean, the the two I've had have just been like brilliant and. All yeah, the, the way they 
put shows together is really impressive. Yeah. Just top to bottom, like the actors and how they create that material just basically through improvisation is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love Second City. For for somebody listening to this who isn't part of the sketch program but maybe w- wants to be, what does your week look like? My week as a director? Yeah. What's the, what's the sketch? Like, what, what, what would a person expect being on a sketch team? How much work is it? What do they do? Uh, um, so uh, it depends if you're a writer or an actor. Now that we sort of have a different set up, mm-hmm. there are three writers, three actors, and three writer-actors. So let's say you're a writer-actor. It would be... You'd meet once a week um, for three hours, bring your material, uh, your sketches or pitches or whatever you have. Um, we would sort of riff on sketches after we read through them as a group. Um, and then you'd go back, edit, maybe bring in new stuff the next week. And then uh, the week before the show, at least on the teams I direct, I would uh, pick the running order and uh, we would block sketches with the actors. And then um, the day of the show is a very long day. Well, relatively long. You get there at one thirty. you do your tech for an hour and a half, then you just keep rehearsing stuff right up until 7.30, then we do the show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, a lot of that work is done on your own, like writing or memorizing or uh, things like that. And for the actual directing of the individual sketches, is that you or do the writers have a hand in, in the staging of it? Oh, definitely. I, I try to like have my own idea, but I definitely love when writers have input or actors. Yeah. Because I find it to be like most stuff I love doing in comedy, like I said earlier, like collaborative. I'm never going to shoot down someone's idea because a lot of times it's a better idea than the one I had. So, uh, Yeah. I, I mostly have a vision, mm-hmm. I guess, but I'm open to other people's ideas for yeah. sure. Uh, 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 and then, like facilitating other people's ideas, how do you help people to to? Are, how active are you in helping people to to come up with material, or is it just kind of like the assignment of like, okay, on Monday have this? Uh, it's just kind of yeah. Like, so we just had a show on Sunday, and then we had a meeting last night, so it was like. Okay, bring in whatever you have Thursday. It could be a pitch or a one-pager, which is just the first page of a sketch, or a full sketch or whatever. And then, you know, if someone just brought in some pitches, we would all, like, talk through that premise together. It's basically just sitting around riffing and laughing. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Like, I find the writing meetings... I mean, I find all of the meetings to be fun. The, The real hard work... The hard part for me is like picking what goes in and casting. Mm-hmm. Um, just because both teams I've been with, uh, the writing is so strong that it's like you're going to leave something really funny out. Maybe just because, you know, it's too similar to another sketch or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, Is it ever like a hard uh, uh, thing for you to like if somebody's light in a show or, or, or somebody's like routinely not getting their sketches through? Do you have to do you have to play that producer role too of, of like managing people's feelings at all? Or is it pretty mature? Um, a little, not, not really. I think people are mature. I mean, I always tell people and occasionally that'll happen where someone will come to you and say, you know, they, cause it's a lot of work. So people, um, if they feel like they're not getting a fair shake, 
they're putting in time and money to this, so they'll come to you Mm-mm. and tell you, hopefully, that, you know, or ask you, why am I not getting stuff in, or why am I being cast light? But I try to, I try to spread it out as evenly as possible while still being fair and putting the best stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, uh, how far ahead do you have your, your shit planned out? Like how, how, how far ahead can you, can you see yourself before you, like you can't see your own future anymore? Meaning like career wise, career wise. Yeah. I don't mean like, like, you know, Um, like career wise. What, where where would you want to be? What would you what, like? What what for you would be like? Yep, this is the life that I want. This is exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know. Um, I guess I can see maybe like a year, <laughs> a year in advance, and I have like stuff I would like to do beyond that. Mm-hmm. But uh, honestly, I've just sometimes I think about like I've already surpassed what I thought I would set out to what I thought I would do. Yeah. Like I've gotten to write for Sesame Street. I've gotten to work for the Second City twice. I've gotten to, you know, I've gotten to do a lot of stuff that I never thought I would do. So I try to have an, I don't know, a balance of ambition, but also just appreciating I've, I've already outdone what I thought I would do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's kind of like my... Anytime I make a plan for anything or, or say, like, this is what I want, it, it always turns out to be a fucking bonehead thing. And I'm not saying that making plans or, or putting into words what you want, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it, I think it works a lot more often than it doesn't work. Yeah. But just not for me. Because my ideas are always really stupid or, or like, <laughs> off. It, it just kind of, like, whatever, like, life happening to me is far more interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, you just kind of like, for me, you do the next little thing. Yeah. I'm kind of the same and I, I have plans, I guess, but I, I try, you know, trying to make a career in comedy is full of rejection Mm -hmm. and not getting exactly what you thought you would get. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes you get something and it's, you know, more than you'd ever hoped for. So like, uh, I try to make plans, I guess, but I try not to get bent out of shape when something doesn't go according to plan because also the older I've gotten, the more I've seen, like, when I thought something was, like, a horrible roadblock and uh, something devastating to me, then, you know, a couple weeks, months, whatever, down the road, something else happens, and I'm like, that never would have happened mm-hmm. if I'd gotten this thing. Mm-hmm. Whatever it may be. Yeah. I could name like 10 examples of that. But, you know, I think generally uh, it's nice to have a mix of like, this is what I want to do, but also I should be open to things. I shouldn't just have such tunnel vision that I'm not doing whatever. Totally. Yeah. You, you never really know like at the end of the day what value something has for you. Something that seems like an awesome opportunity might like really fuck you over. And yeah. something that seems like a huge disappointment, you know, accidentally takes you someplace or, or introduces you to somebody that like, Oh no, that's the thing that, mm-hmm. that's actually perfect for me right now. Yeah. And, and having that like attitude where like, uh, you don't like celebrate too much, but you don't get down too much either. It's just kind of, 
you know, like I know my tastes. I know, I know more or less like where I do well. Yeah. Uh, I know the kind of stuff that I enjoy doing. I know the kind of stuff I don't enjoy doing. And you kind of take what comes your way with like a pretty even handed attitude. That seems to me to be like a good place to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to do that. Sometimes I'm good at that. Sometimes I'm sure. Sometimes I'm a little whiny baby when I don't get something, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that is a good place to be. We didn't even talk about Sesame Street. Uh, oh. uh, uh, I think we got another couple of minutes. What, what, what is it like writing for? What kind of writing have you done for them? I've done uh, like writing. I started as a PA for their digital creative department. Mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes. You can't see that. You could feel it, though, in the tone <laughs> of Kevin's voice. And uh, after about after a, maybe a year of doing that, I, I started getting to do more and more writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for digital stuff, so like, um, which involved a lot of writing, shooting scripts for something interactive. So mm-hmm. it was like, we were going to shoot something, like uh, we did an interactive TV thing called Connect Sesame Street Connect TV. So it was basically like writing TV, but it was for the Xbox Connect, mm-hmm. and it was part of larger episodes. So they were like uh, interactive bits inserted into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, or like apps, like a lot of voiceover stuff. I've gotten to, you know, write and then be in the studio while like Oscar the Grouch is recording. Carol Spinney, which has been great. Like, uh, and yeah, that's something where it's like, it's not really what I set out to do, but I, it's like, I can't believe I get to do that. Yeah. Um, and I still, I've done that for like four years off and on. So yeah. Were you a Sesame Street kid? Yes. Uh, yeah, I grew up on it probably like you or Gran or anyone else yeah. uh, about our age. Like, I think, yeah. I, I, I wonder if it has the same impact on kids now as it did for us because I, I just kind of feel like there's so everybody much, in our age was watching it. Yeah, and now there's so many yeah. great kids shows. Um, so maybe not. Maybe but not. Hopefully. But, but it, like it gave this like kind of common educational thing to everybody. And it was also a lot of the episodes when, when we were kids were like from the late 70s. They were just like just a little bit before our life. So there was also this like kind of weird, funky, like urban 70s vibe to a yeah, lot of it. Yeah. That, Which know. I loved. Yeah, I, me too. I was like, I want to live <laughs> on that set. Me too. I, I, I still remember like the first time I saw the, the intro to Welcome Back Cotter on Nick at Night. And seeing like Brooklyn in the seventies, it was like Sesame Street. That's just what it looks yeah. like to me. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. Is that when you're stepping in to do work for something that iconic and, and something that's like been uh-huh. a part of your life for like pretty much as far as a person can remember? Is it freeing to write for something where you know you know the tone of this thing so well, or is it kind of a, a head trip a little bit to to be with this like legendary show? Um, both. Uh, it's. Kind of, yeah, there's definitely, like, rules. Like, that's kind of what I learned is, you know, a lot of what we did was, like, you were sort of a guardian of the brand, which yeah. is a really lame way to say, like, you know, you sort of know how these... Ultimately, the final say is always the person who voices or puppeteers the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but we sort of know how to write for them. Uh, yeah, it was... It's sort of, yeah, it's sort of both. It's freeing and it's also, and it, it's cool because you're like, um, 
oh, this thing that I've always thought was amazing. It's just regular people like me who yeah. are helping to make it. It's yeah. not like, I, I don't know. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think we'll end there. Kevin Cobbs, it's been a pleasure, man. Hey, thanks, Lewis. Thanks it's for been talking. a pleasure for me, too. And thank you guys for listening. A couple of other thanks to our producer, Evan Ford Barden, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, to our executive producer, Ed Herbsman, and to all you fine people listening to this podcast. Uh, thank you all so very much. I have been Lewis Kornfeld. This is the Magnet Theater. Thank you once again to Kevin Cobbs. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.